How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sandscast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tam Jensi. Tim, how's it going, sir? Honestly, fantastic. The weather here was kind of bad this morning, rainy, windy, but it's a beautiful evening. Might have to go for a walk. Yeah, that sounds like a pretty good idea, man, because... Correct me if I'm wrong, but in Calgary, I guess in October, it's usually it's usually like that, isn't it? Or do you guys get snow by that point? Uh, we had some. We had what looked like it was becoming snow this morning. So it is kind of just the. Is it going to be a, a messy day today? Yes, no, I don't know, sort of thing. But yeah, we start seeing some snow in October, November, and then uh, it becomes a permanent fixture in December. Is it me or is it just really hard to believe that it's already the fall? Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, well, it, you know what was weird? It was just no hockey on Thanksgiving. There was no hockey on Thanksgiving, but there was some football. And I'll talk a little bit about that in a little bit. But I think we should talk about today's episode because today's episode, we are going to look at the Ottawa Senators 2020 draft class. This is going to be a great episode, not only because... It is going to be our last episode for a while, but also because we really haven't done a Sens-related episode in quite a while, Tim, given we were doing a lot of the playoff coverage the last couple of months. Yeah, the only sorry, the only Sens episode we've done in the last month was the Bobby Ryan episode. Yeah, but I, what would you? I would consider that more of a singular episode on a player not the team wise yeah but it's like the only thing that was even sense related we really touched in a while it's true like i was just trying to think about that earlier today i was like when what did we record our last sense episode it wasn't the bobby ryan one was it the the ring of honor episode maybe i think it might have been ring of honor and we might have done some sense news in one of the playoff episodes but other than that yeah so, Tim, before we go on and talk about the Sens draft class, we got to talk a little bit about our week. Now, this is going to be a big episode for you today, Tim, because this episode will be the final episode recorded in your old apartment. Yeah, because we take possession of the new place on Thursday. So, uh, yeah, I'm super excited. And uh, hopefully we'll have stuff to talk about coming in on November-ish so we can uh, see how it sounds from the new place. It's going to be very exciting. And the one thing that's going to be coming out of, I guess, the next episode that we're going to be end up doing is that we're going to have to come kind of figure out a name for your new studio, Tim. Yeah. Um, we haven't come up with anything good yet. I know we had a bunch of joke ones that I can't even remember, but... Uh, We'll work on it. Maybe it'll be a play on the address. Who knows? Maybe. Maybe. Or maybe you just make a play on a well-known 
residents in, say, Ottawa, given that we are a Senators podcast. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. It'll be uh, interesting to see because I, I kind of think of it in the way that we came up with the name of this as podcast, really. Like, we didn't have really any concrete ideas. We had some ideas like we just threw around, and then Third Light Blink Sensecast came around, and you and I were just like, yeah, it's all right. Then we went yeah. with it for three years. Or instead of recording in and off the office that I'm going to have, I could just record in uh, my unfinished basement and call it The Dungeon. Oh, the echo would be terrible. Terrible, terrible, terrible. Yeah, I was going to say, man, the the ambiance and the echo in there would just be brutal for that episode. <laughs> now, since this past week, I guess this weekend was Canadian Thanksgiving, I got to ask, how did you and Chelsea celebrate Canadian Thanksgiving? We didn't want to go through the rigmarole of cooking a bird, so we just got a butterball, and it worked out pretty okay. Excellent. Now, did you guys have any leftovers for, say, Sammy's or... Well, I guess the big question for me is, like, are, is Chelsea going to be doing the... using the carcass for, say, a soup stock? Well, we ended up just getting, like, a, a breast roast. Oh, okay. So, uh, we cooked that up on Thursday and just ate it over the weekend. That's not bad. Yeah, because on top of that, we also had Butterball brand stuff and, uh, Cut up some yams, cut up some potatoes, cut up some squash, uh, and then also had some French bread. Because origin- the original plan was we were going to do a breast roast, and uh, I was going to make the stuffing from scratch. So we picked up some French bread, picked up some sausage, and then we got to where they had all the turkey bits. And they had every bit of the turkey except a breast roast. So at that point, I was like, screw it. I'm just going to get the Butterball Butterballs brand stuff and uh, leave it at that. So I put back the sausage, forgot to put back the bread. So we ended up having just a whole lot of food. And actually, we had probably more, uh, like, potatoes, yams, and stuff than we ended up having equivalent turkey. So we ended up just frying that up with eggs this afternoon for brunch. God damn, that does sound really good. I was actually going to ask if you had bought some, say, not so much hamburger buns, but, like, Kaiser buns or white dinner buns and made a post-Thanksgiving Sammy out of, say, turkey, stuffing, and cranberry sauce. I was thinking about it, but, uh, yeah, we just kept cutting the French bread and having and just having it for regular dinner. One thing we did find while we were shopping for uh, the turkey stuff is I found an Ottawa Senator's Pez dispenser just sitting outside of the checkout. You know what's hilarious, Tim, is that I completely forgot about that until you mentioned that, because Chelsea had sent me a picture on Facebook about that. Yeah, what's kind of fun is it's probably one of the last pieces we'll see, maybe ever, with that rendition of the 3D Profile Centurion. Well, well, I was going to say, do you mean the retro 3D jersey, or the retro 3D logo, I should say? I don't think it counts as retro until, like, five years have passed. You know? True, but I don't know. It's it's weird to say that, eh? A retro 3D jersey? Yeah, because I would call, like, the 2002 to 2007 3D look retro. Yeah, which is hilarious because that jersey, like, they were using that since 98, I believe. I believe that originally was a third jersey. Yeah, and yeah. that just somehow became the first jersey. Yeah, well, I was going to say, you remember back in the early 2000s when the Senators basically had two very different jerseys for home and away? Because the home one was like the white 2D and the away one was that red 
weird looking 3D logo, which I don't know about you. I n never really liked that particular 3D logo. It just looks so mangled and really odd looking. I think they went a little too detailed on it. I don't, I like it. But uh, I think the simplified 3D logo looked a lot better. I like the updated 3D logo they used from like 07 till this past season. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm the minority on that. Right? Yeah, I'm the minority on that logo. I actually like it. I think if it had a better jersey to go with it, it would have been much, much more liked by the fan base, if I'm being honest. I really do like the simplified style of the Reebok Edge, though. That's one thing I've always kind of appreciated it. Although I did like the old CCM third jersey that became a away jersey, then home jersey, the red one with the black stripe. I thought that was a good-looking jersey. You know which one I thought you were actually talking about was the Senegoth one, the black one with the Peace Tower shoulder patch. Honestly, all three of those jerseys were good-looking jerseys. They were. They were. Like, I mean, and you know my feelings on the Senegoth jersey. I always loved those. I just, yeah. I always, I, actually, I honestly kind of wish that that Peace Tower shoulder patch was brought back on any of the incarnations of Sens jerseys we've had over the years. That would be a really nice touch. Even on the, uh, the SNES jerseys. If they didn't use the 3D logo on the shoulder patch and use the Peace Tower one. I would be okay if they use the shoulder patch as the Peace Tower and use the 3D logo as the actual logo for the black one. I think it would be an okay-looking jersey. It would be dated by all hell today, but... Fair. Yeah. Um, I'm glad that I do have one of those Senegoth jerseys. And it's my smallest big jersey, so it's usually the one that I give to Chelsea when we go to a game. I know. That's the one jersey. If, if I had to pick... If I had to pick one jersey that I had to start a Sens jersey collection all over again, it would be that one. That's the one jersey I don't have. I have pretty much all the other variations other than the SNES jersey, but I don't have that one. Frankly, I'm not sure where my parents found that jersey. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know where because, honestly, a lot of the stores only carried the, the home red. Rarely did they ever cover the white one. It was always the red one. Yeah, and then... Well, frankly, because of where we lived, it was it was always Canucks gear, and sometimes you would get some Flames or Leafs gear. What was really funny is I remember uh, going around Vancouver, and they actually one of the sports stores we were passing by uh, when we were leaving uh, Waterfront Station had the SNES jersey, and I was like, you know what? I'll think about it because I was going to buy it, and I'm like, ah, oh, maybe I shouldn't. And I've never seen a SNES jersey in person again. I'm kind of kicking about that myself about that literally 10 years later. Yeah, I'm just trying to think when was the last time I saw a SNES jersey in person? I think the last one I saw was the night I met Bonk Smollett and Trevor Shackles because Ryan Classic was with them too and he had a Mike Berdur jersey. Amazing. Yeah, it was great. We know I'm in the minority who likes that jersey. Yeah, I know. I know that you like it and... I don't know, like, I think, like, the very simple jerseys have their own elegance. Like, I've always been a fan of, like, the, the Rangers jersey, the Bolts jersey. Uh, I, I never liked the uh, Tampa Bay's Bolts jersey. I, I never liked that one. The Canes one didn't look bad either. The Canes one was maybe the one that maybe changed my opinion on a little bit. I didn't mind that, but 
and it's weird because I, I don't, I can't explain why. That's the thing. I'm so hard on the SNES jersey. I didn't like the Bolts jersey. And yet, all these years later, I just look at the Canes one and I'm like, eh, it's okay. Maybe because I'm not so jaded anymore. Maybe that's what it is, Tim. Maybe I'm just so, my heart has grown three sizes too big and, you know, all warm and fuzzy and shit that I just kind of look at it and I'm like, it's okay. That's a, that's a uniform that I'm down for. I don't know. I guess it's like I, I've always really liked the classic Rangers uniform. Mm, yeah. Like, that's a very good uniform. Absolutely. You know what jersey doesn't get enough love when it comes to the Rangers? Do you remember the Statue of Liberty head ones they had in the late 90s? Oh, those ones were cool. Those ones were really awesome. I've seen one of those in person, and they are very, very nice looking in jersey. It was a, wasn't the blue one, it was the white one. The white one is very, very hard to find. And I don't know where that guy that was found the home it. Jersey, right? Yeah, because the Rangers in the late '90s they had the two. Technically, they had two third jerseys. They had the blue Statue of Liberty head, which I think they did use as, as a third jersey up until like 2007, and they had a white one, which I don't recall how often they used it. I mean, there's pictures online of like Gretzky as a Ranger wearing it and all that stuff, but. I don't know. It's I always kind of dug the logo, to be honest with you. I always thought that was kind of a cool touch. And I love I'm the fact... Lie, whenever I played uh, NHL 10, I'd sneak that jersey in as the Rangers. It's so good. I love the fact that Rangers actually use that as their practice jersey, though. Oh, that's awesome. The Statue of Liberty head? Yeah. It's such a nice touch. It's, it's kind of like the Captain Highlander one for the Islanders. I know a lot of people hate that logo, but it's so distinctly Long Island in the way that Statue of Liberty is so... New York City. So Manhattan. So I'll yes. talk. Sorry, so I'll talk a little bit about my Thanksgiving because you know it was a pretty low key Thanksgiving altogether. We had dinner last night. Me, my two sisters, my sister's boyfriend came over, so we had dinner. I was on the couch watching the Seahawks game. Now everybody knows that I'm a Seahawks fan. I think that should come as no surprise to anybody. Russell Wilson will one day give me the jammer that kills me. And I'll explain why. Because I'm sitting on the couch last night watching the game. At halftime, Minnesota was leading 13 to nothing. Seattle could not get anything going offensively. Defensively, we looked like hot garbage out there. By the second half, Minnesota just completely started shitting bricks left and right. And the Seahawks finally got their offense going in the third quarter, scoring three touchdowns. And then in the final couple of minutes... Russell Wilson drove the Seahawks 94 yards down the field and won the game with 15 seconds left. Holy shit. Yeah. I I don't know how he did it. I I don't know how. I was sitting here watching it thinking like, okay, this game's pretty much over. And then I kept watching it. Wilson kept hitting receivers downfield. He found... Metcalf, he found Lockett, he found guys in space, and then he found DK Metcalf in the end zone. It was like a nine-yard pass. He found him, and he got it within 15 seconds, and I literally laid on the floor like, I literally think I was like, my heart was like, my heart was just pounding. I could not believe that we actually won that. We had no, absolutely no reason to win that game. We should be 4-1 and one right now, and we're a perfect 5-0. and oh. I mean, sometimes the big game players come up and win big games. 
Yeah, and I, I didn't watch the game last week versus Miami because I was in Victoria helping my dad uh, with his rails and his back deck and whatever. So this was probably the first game that I got a chance to watch in a couple of weeks. Russell Wilson, man. Ugh. Like, I'm getting excited just talking about it right now. Because since he's come into the league in 2012, last night was his 34th fourth quarter comeback win. And that's a combined in regular season and the playoffs. How? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's so good. Well, I mean, in that game, like Kirk Cousins, first play of the game, he kind of noodle arm throws a pass. He almost throws it right to the Seahawks defensive end. And I would have laughed if that happened. Just the little noodle arm throw, first pass, it gets intercepted. But, you know, that was a good game. You know, I'm finally coming down from that. So, but there is something actually very important. I do want to talk about Tim. And this actually regards us as a Sense podcast content creator. This also includes everybody else on Sense Twitter when it comes to our podcasts. So I don't know, Tim, if you saw on our social media at third link plug on Twitter uh-huh. that I made a response to a tweet that somebody put out. When did this gentleman put it out? Uh, Saturday morning. So I, I won't, I'm not going to go and tell everybody what this guy's Twitter handle is because I don't feel that he deserves this recognition. So I'll, I screenshotted the tweet he sent out. So basically his, the tweet was, can we stop making sense podcast now, please? We have like eight different ones and I can only keep up with two or three. At some point, they're all saying the same things. So Let's make two more sense podcasts. Welcome to the COVID years. <laughs> Little shout out from last week. There you go. So after seeing that, and you know, Tim, usually with stuff I see on social media, Nothing really affects me. I just look at it and I'm like, okay, it's one person's opinion. Who cares? I don't know what it was about this person and that tweet. And so I basically went on Twitter. Yes, for everybody out there, yes, I'm the one that runs our social media account. And I basically just tweeted out. I says, you know, with all the positively and actual good sense news surrounding the team lately, I figured we should show some love to the podcast. I brought up the fact that I saw the tweet. I mentioned that there's like eight of them. He can only keep out two or three. As a content creator, Tim, I was really, really disappointed to see that. And the reason why I was really disappointed is because, not just because of all the time and the effort you and I put into doing this podcast every single week, but also because of how much the Sense Podcast community has grown in three years. Because it, back in 2017, when we started this podcast, Tim, really, how many Sense Podcasts were there out there? There was only a handful of them, maybe? Yeah, there was... I think Cosper... I thought po- I was aware of, like, three. Yeah, so there was Cosper Pointcast, which Trevor Shackles and now Colin Cudmore does. There's the Sense Call-Ups. And you're right, I think there was, like, another one I can't remember off the top of my head. And that's what I, and I put out in the tweet. I said, you know, there's only a handful of podcasts out there, notably since call-ups in the Cosmic Pointcast. And I made a point. I said, since then, a number of shows have started up. Like Brandon Mackey started an internal budget. Joseph St. Amour is doing the new RSNs. 
Alex Metzger is doing Last Word on Sends. Like, you see all these new podcasts coming out. And that's really exciting to see because I remember three years ago when we were the new kids on the block. And we showed up and we weren't doing this to get famous. We weren't doing this because we were bloggers and we thought that a podcast would be a great extension. We were doing this because we loved the team, but we also wanted to do this. And frankly, it's enjoyable. Very enjoyable, Tim. And you know, and I, I look over the past three years, I mean, look at the people we've chatted with. We've chatted with Ian Mendez. We've cheated with Jamie McLennan, Bruce Firestone. You know, we talked with these kind of people. And not only that, but you and I, we reconnected after all these years. And so, and that was a really great thing. And so basically, the message I was trying to put out on this tweet was just, this is really stifling the growth of the community. When you see stuff like that, because that just discourages somebody from doing this. And, yeah. And, and even worse, it might discourage someone who's already doing it and just kind of on the cusp of doing something really good from trying again. And that's really unfortunate. Very much so. And, you know, and that's the thing. I put it up on Twitter, not thinking anything of it, not thinking that, oh, yeah, you know, people are going to see that and whatever. The feedback I got for that thread was overwhelming. Because I'm just looking at the initial tweet. We had two quote tweets, two retweets, and 21 likes. That's huge. And a lot of them were Sense Podcasters. A lot of them were people who are content creators. And they were just showing support and they're showing the love. And they're saying, you know what? They're absolutely right. Like, and that's the great thing about Sense Podcasting, Tim. And that's the great thing about our community is that we are very encouraging for each other. And yes, I understand it is hard to keep tabs on every podcast that comes along, but it's not that we're in competition with each other. Because think about it. Brandon Magny's been on. Trevor Shackles has been on. Alex Metzger's been on. Pan has been on. Like, you look at Sense Podcasters, and that's just podcasters helping each other out and giving advice. And that's the great thing about this community, Tim. Yeah, and it's just really fun because it's the thing with podcasting is you you find a few guys that you like to listen to agree to and uh, you stick with it so if like we're not your cup of tea if Trevor Shackles isn't your cup of tea well start your own and there's probably people like you too and you get to talk about something you love like the senators and there's uh, people who want to listen to you and will reach out and talk to you yeah, and I'm just looking through the notifications here on our Twitter account. And, you know, I'm looking at, there's a gentleman here who started the Centennial podcast. And they just started in February. So that's really cool. I, I'm i currently following a gentleman from Brooklyn, New York, who's a diehard Sense fan. And he told us, he says, you know what? It's his only opportunity to join water cooler conversations with other Passion Sense fans. When you see stuff like that, that's very rewarding. That's very encouraging to see that when you see that there's so many podcasts out there, it's not just, it's, it's a show of growth, but it's also a show that how healthy it is right now, that so many people want to do this. And the fact that there is very little toxicity within the community, within the podcast creators with each other is amazing. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of really good content being made right now. 
It's true. Like Cosper Pointcast were doing all of their draft stuff. Brandon Mackey was doing his draft stuff. Like he had Haley Sullivan. He had Brent Wallace on the show. And funny enough, I actually sent a tweet through my own personal account to Brandon to ask Brent Wallace. And I always thought it'd be really funny. I always wanted to know if Brent Wallace, when he records his cell phone answering machine message, if he finishes with Brent Wallace, TSN, Ottawa. That question never got brought up until Brent Wallace himself brought it up because he saw it. And I remember driving to work listening to that going like, wait, did, did, did Brent Wallace just say that? Because <laughs> he, cause he, all he heard, all I heard was, yeah, and to answer the, mes- the message about, you know, do I answer the phone with Brent Wallace, TSN, Ottawa? And I was just like, oh my God, this is amazing. When you're noticed. I know. Brent Wallace noticed me. It was a great feeling, Tim. So, yeah, I just I just wanted to go off a little bit about that. The overwhelming support and all the positivity about the thread, I feel is really great. And, you know, if, for you guys out there, if you're a brand new listener, hi, my name's Taylor. That's Tim. And <laughs> I hope that everybody sticks around to enjoy today's episode and... You know, because we've got some great content coming up here in the next couple of months anyway, I would imagine. Yeah, I hope y'all stick around and listen to us kind of muddle through the surely half season that's coming ahead. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. So with that being said, Tim, I think we should take a really quick break here. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some Sens news as well as the 2020 Ottawa Senators draft class. Coming right back. Hey, it's Ian Mendes from TSN 1200. You're listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. Okay, we are back. So this is the time part of the episode, Tim, that I've been looking very, very much to. It's time to start talking about the some Senators news. So there's been some talk in sense land over the last couple of weeks. And I think one of the big stories that we need to talk about, Tim, is... The official unveiling of the brand new updated 2G jerseys. So my initial thoughts on the jerseys themselves. I don't really like the white one. I don't know what it is. You know what? I couldn't figure out what it was I didn't like about it. Until I went back and I saw old clips of the Sens with the original 2G jersey. You know what it is? If you look at the current white ones. They just have the big red stripe on the bottom where the old ones had the red with the black. I don't know why they didn't go with that. Yeah, well, I guess they wanted to go, like, pure, pure classic. Yeah, but even, like, the original one from, like, 92-93 was still red with black on the bottom. Yeah, that's fair, that's fair. Yeah, the black one, though, and this is one that I think that I wasn't really sure how I was going to feel about it, because we saw the pictures... And we're like, oh, okay, you know, whatever it is, what it is. The black one has actually really grown on me, to be honest. Especially after seeing photos of it online. Not so much the fan, um, the Fanatics one, but the one from the Sens team store. I gotta say, it looks really nice, to be perfectly honest with you. One detail that I really liked about it was uh, noticing that in the logo, 
on the shoulder, sorry, the main logo, they've got like the year the senators were established were kind of etched in there, and I thought that looked really nice. Like it's a nice little detail to add, and I liked it a lot. Yeah, actually, that was one nice touch I liked about it. Because originally, if you look at the 2D jerseys, that wasn't a part of it. Because there was, like, two variations on the 2D jersey. There was the original one where, around the gold band, it just said Ottawa Senators. And then I think after, like, 94, 95, excuse me, or 95, 96, I can't remember which year, they just went, like, the solid gold band with the white arrows going down. And on the shoulder patch, that's when you had, you know, the EST in... Roman numerals, the the number of the team started. So, no, I think that's a very, very nice touch. And I actually got to say, and I'm looking currently at a picture of it right now, I really think the updated 2D logo with the, the gold outlined wing actually works on that jersey. Yeah, I think it does too. Yeah, and that was something, and it's, what I really like about it, just looking at it right now, like I said, is it's a very tasteful gold. It's not like a more yellow gold. It's very tasteful. It's very, very light. Almost kind of like if you recall the, the Penguins jerseys from like 10 years ago. Kind of that kind of gold, but a little bit more bright. Yeah. I think it looks really good. I think so too, and... You know, and I know that you and I were we've like we've talked about these updated jerseys with, uh, we talked about the Canucks ones with the skate, and you said, and something that really stuck out for me, Tim, was that you mentioned the reason why that that jersey doesn't really work is because some teams can't figure out how to actually translate that into a current fitted jersey, and I'm looking and looking at the Sens one, it fits really nice. I really like the check the dark checkered thing on the shoulders that go across the chest i think it's a really nice touch i think that works and uh i don't know about you i i might look into getting one eventually i like i said i just bought it to chuck jersey so i don't really need to go out and buy one right now <laughs> but if i go out and i see one i might i might consider it honestly it's fair yeah the big question though tim say hypothetically like if you were to go out and get a updated 2D jersey, who would you get on the back? Or would you just get it with no name on the back? Um, I'd probably get it with Shabbat. You know what's hilarious? That's exactly what I was thinking too. I was thinking a black jersey with a Shabbat, because that was the one picture I saw online somebody had of the Shabbat, the 2D Shabbat jersey, and that looks really nice. I don't think I would buy it to Chuck jersey. It would definitely be a Shabbat. Yeah. Or, or possibly Stutzel. You know, we don't know yet. So, Tim, we got to start talking about some Ottawa Senators RFAs because the Ottawa Senators did qualify majority of the RFAs that we had in our lineup, especially Connor Brown and Chris Tierney. But there were three guys in particular who didn't get a qualifying offer by the Senators. One of them was defenseman Andreas Englund, who has signed with Sweden. Forward Jace Harlock has been another one. But this is the one that I really want to talk about. And that guy's Anthony Duclair. Well, the other two aren't aren't that surprising, to be honest. Uh, Andreas Englund, you could tell that he had fallen out of favor by the end of last season. And with uh, Brandstrom and Christian Yaros continuing to get call-ups over him, you knew the writing was on the wall for him. Uh, with Jace Harlock, I think he was just a placeholder. And we'll probably see some of the Sens rookies 
pushing for that spot. I don't think Matthew Pekka comes back either. Actually, the Senators did re-sign him. Oh, they did re-sign him. Okay. Yeah. yeah, the uh, Sens re-signed Michael Pekka, or... No, Matthew Pekka, sorry. Matthew Pekka to, I would imagine, replace Chase Harlock. But I really want to talk about Anthony Duclair because this is a guy that... I was shocked to find out the Senators didn't qualify him. But the more I read about it, the more I learn about it, the more that I'm not surprised. Well, he wanted five by five. Yeah, and this was something that, and we talked about that in our third season, Tim, was that what exactly would Anthony Duclair get? And I says, you know, if it was in a ballpark of, say, three and a half to four million, no problem. But given that he almost had a 40-goal season last year, I if he had hit 40 goals, maybe 40-plus, okay, you could definitely see the argument of giving him 5 or 5. But the fact is that he didn't have that. Remember, because he had the 20-game goal streak, and he didn't play terrible in those games. And we talked about that. Even though he wasn't scoring, he was making plays, moving the puck, trying to get into good position to get a shot off. So it wasn't that he was a complete plug out there, but I think that's, I have to say, kind of a smart move by Pierre Dorian to not give him that contract, because I think as high as he wanted to go, I think was 4.1, if I'm not mistaken. It might be 4.2 per year. Yeah, and I think the the walk-away number is above that, so if the Arbiter awarded a large one-year contract, the Sens would be stuck with it. Yeah, and I think after the Mark Stone debacle, I don't think that Pierre Dorian wants to go through that again. I'm not saying that Anthony Duclair is Mark Stone by any means, but I get the sense that Pierre Dorian had a real bad taste in his mouth with arbitration with Mark Stone that he just didn't want to go through that again. Yeah, and I think that really works back to a comment that Pierre Dorian made when it was announced that Duclair would not be getting qualifying offer was that it's hard when you represent yourself because I think with a professional agent, maybe the agent would have been willing to negotiate more. I could see that. And something that has to be noted here, Tim, when talking about Anthony Duclair representing himself is that he's not the first NHLer to do it. Most notably a couple of years ago, Drew Doughty represented himself with the Los Angeles Kings when they gave him that 11 million per year contract. Yeah, and it was interesting because with that contract, uh, Dowdy probably lost out on that because they didn't structure it with all the nice bonuses to make it basically buyout proof, right? Mm-hmm. And I could see that if Duclair ends up going to market and getting, well, actually, I'm going to be very, very frank here. I doubt he's getting what he wants in free agency. There's a very big risk that he may even get less than what Pierre Dorian initially offered. That is true, but I'm also, maybe I'm playing the devil's advocate here, Tim, but maybe if Duclair sits in free agency long enough and he just thinks, okay, maybe I'm not going to get a five mil per year contract, maybe I'll sign for less, does maybe Pierre Dorian reapproach Anthony Duclair about maybe coming back? Honestly, I can see that. Uh, Pierre Dorian did say the door's not closed, but I think... Anthony Duclair comes back on Ottawa's terms. I think so. And honestly, if he comes back at, say, $3 million, maybe three and a half, and he goes out there, he pots 35 goals, 
I will be absolutely ecstatic. Because honestly, I thought that was exactly what Anthony Duclair was going to get for, with the Senators. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know if you want to talk about uh, Chris Tierney and Connor Brown by any chance, because I know their RFAs. From what I'm hearing, there's been... There's very little noise going on regarding a Connor Brown extension. Now, I don't know if you want to talk about that a little bit, Tim, because I think Connor Brown's going to be a very interesting piece in this offseason. Yeah, but at the same time, part of me thinks that that'll be the easiest one to get. Well, like, sorry, Tyranny's probably the easiest one to get done. Connor Brown, I can't imagine it going to arbitration. I, I hope it doesn't. But quite frankly, and I was thinking about this, is that if he goes to arbitration, I don't exactly know what Connor Brown would get. That's the only thing, because it's not like with Duclair, where he almost had a 40-goal season last year. Like, he had... I'm going to quickly look up Connor Brown's numbers here, just to accurately give the number here. Because I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think Connor Brown was our best scoring winger last season let me just bring it up right here uh no brady kachuk no couldn't uh, couldn't have brady been kachuk had 21 goals Connor brown had 16 i'm talking about like yeah but what about overall points last season for four uh, kachuk had 44 brown had 43 oh okay okay yeah oh shit i didn't realize he had that low oh juice but yeah Connor brown's a guy who Maybe I am definitely the minority here. I thought that night in and night out, outside of the obvious being Shabbat and Dechuk, I thought Connor Brown was our best player last year. Bar none. Night in and night out, he goes out there, he busts his ass, he's making plays. There, there was very, there was a couple of games where he didn't look very good, but overall, I thought his overall season last year was pretty solid. Honestly. I did like Connor Brown's season. I wouldn't say he was the best senator. I leave that space for Thomas Shabbat. No, no, I'm, I'm saying like outside of Shabbat and oh, Chuck. gotcha. Like as far as kind of like a non-core piece? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I'd agree with you on that. Yeah. No, abs- no, absolutely. I thought Thomas Shabbat was our best player last year, bar none. But outside of him and Chuck, I definitely thought Connor Brown was our best guy last year. And, Honestly, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Uh, Chris Tierney is a guy that I really slept on him last season because, again, because when I watch Chris Tierney, he didn't he doesn't always put the puck in the net, but he did have some really good games last year. So let's talk a little bit about him. And so, if you're a Pierre Dorian, and given how young and how deep we are at, and somewhat with our young core at center, like what exactly would Chris Tierney get in a contract? Given his uh, point history and underlying numbers, it's tough. I don't think Chris Tierney gets a big raise. Because yeah. I think at, at 37 points, uh, max points being lost here at 48, and the, like his uh, relative possession numbers being okay, I don't think he gets big money, you know? Yeah, I really don't know what... It's kind of hard to think about what Chris Tierney... Like, let's see what his comparables would be. Uh, yeah, because Tierney... looking at, like, a Leo Komarov. Yeah, that would probably be a pretty decent one. Yeah, third-line center, you know, 
mostly would play on the penalty kill. I would say Leo Komarov would be a pretty good comparable, to be honest with you. Yeah, so I couldn't see him getting more than like three, and even three is kind of rich. For me, Tim, I think the big thing is going to be a term because with the young guys that we have down the middle, like the Josh Norrises, like the Drake Bathersons, and now we have some really young pieces coming in too in the next couple of years. I don't know how long of a contract you would want to give Chris Tierney. I would say maybe two, pushing it maybe three, if that if you can get him on a decent cap hit where you can put him in the bottom six and it wouldn't honestly affect us with a cap. Yeah, and that's the hard thing is I wouldn't want to give him more than a year or two, honestly, because uh, this is all Chris Tierney's going to be. And, like, actually, yeah, his cap hit was, uh, let's see, Chris Tierney for last year, his cap hit was kind of in that $3 million range. I don't see him getting much of a raise. And that's the thing is I think Ottawa will probably see other centers come in. Like, you've got Logan Brown. You, we have Colin White right now. Tim Stutzel can play either center of the wing. Yeah, and I think Stutzel would play center, to be perfectly honest with you, even though I think from what I understand – I think that they have tried him on the wing and it's been kind of hit and miss with him on left wing. So I think at center, he would be a much more suited guy for that. Honestly, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. I think it's pretty much all we can really talk about that, Tim. I think the best thing we should do is we should turn our attention to some trades that happened because the Ottawa Senators actually... Actually made some, they were busy and they actually made some noise. So we're going to start off with the Ottawa Senators have acquired Josh Brown from the Florida Panthers for a 2020 fourth round pick, which ended up being Michael Benning at pick number 95. Brown recorded three goals, five assists for eight points in 56 games for Florida last season. And I would also like to mention that he re-signed for the Senators for two years at $2.4 million. Well, sorry, is that 2.4 annual average or 2.4 total? Total. Yeah, it's okay. 1.2 AAV. Okay, honestly, Josh Brown is a bottom-line defenseman with some upside. Seems to clean the net pretty well, and yeah, so don't expect much offense of Josh Brown, but honestly, this isn't the, the worst signing, and the guy's 25, I think, so he'll be a good stopgap while... Uh, guys like Lassie Thompson and uh, Jacob Bernard Docker continue to develop. And this is one of these deals that, and we're going to talk about this with the next couple of trades here, is that Josh Brown, from what I understand, I think he had played with DJ Smith in Windsor for the Spitfires the year they won the Memorial Cup. That is correct. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm honestly okay with this. I think that's a really good, up, good pickup for our right-handed D or were noticeably weak. And honestly, when you look at that, because I when I look at their right side, honestly, the only guys we had is Nikita Zaitsev, Artem Zub, and Mike Riley. So Riley, in a very limited role, I thought was pretty decent. Zub's coming over. Zaitsev, as I said, I didn't think Zaitsev played as poorly as a lot of people made it out to be last year. So I can see him maybe being... A 6-7 defenseman, if that. 
Maybe you put him in, uh, say, the third pairing. There's been talks that people have said they want to put him with Shabbat. As as he could be maybe what... He could be to Shabbat what Mark Mathot was to Eric Carlson. Yeah. That's an interesting thought, but it remains to be seen, right? I agree. So we're going to talk about the next trade. The Ottawa Senators have acquired Eric Branson from the Anaheim Ducks for a 2021 fifth-round pick, which was originally owned by the Edmonton Oilers. Branson recorded four goals, five assists for nine points, and 51 games between the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Anaheim Ducks last season. I hate this trade. I, I, don't, I don't know what to think here. To me, this doesn't really make any sense, especially they made the trade for Josh Brown. And Josh Brown seemed like the guy that was going to be the replacement for Borrell, that hard-hitting... And he, Josh Brown's a big dude, too. The Gabranson trade, I, I agree with you. I don't like it. But all he is, he's just a depth pickup. That's all he is to me. He's an expensive depth pickup. But luckily, he's gone at the end of the year. The yeah. fingers freaking crossed. True. Because Eric Branson sucks. Oh, he's garbage. He's an absolute garbage defenseman. But here's this here's a thought, and I and I know some people on Twitter have already talked about this, Tim, is that with some of these trades that Pierre Dorian is making, how much do you want to bet part of the reason he's making these trades, one, because he recognizes how weak we are on right hand D, but also he's trying to get pieces for the Seattle expansion next year. Maybe so he can bait Seattle into taking a Branson. Yeah, or maybe he does that, or maybe they take Zaitsev. Oh. Like, take Zaitsev and we'll throw in Gabranson and Austin Watson for free. If he does that, I would be very impressed, frankly. Yeah, I, I would be too, but the only thing is, and I do agree with people on Twitter that said they don't like the fact that they're giving up draft picks for this but the thing is is that the draft picks he's given up are like fourth and fifth rounders i understand that we couldn't get Branson for free yeah that that is true but i mean honestly that's not how it is anymore tim you know a team wants something in return for something oh hey you are living in the world of 2019 that makes sense in 2020 if you're bad and have a high cap hit, there is free or nothing coming back for taking on bad contracts for bad players. You're right. Vancouver just got Nate Schmidt for a third. Yeah, you're right, Tim. Yeah, I know. Stupid me, right? Still living in my fantasy world of 2019 where we weren't in COVID. The Cleveland Browns still sucked and, you know, everything still made sense in life. Yeah, yeah. Yep. This next trade, though, and I, this is one you would have thought somebody dropped a friggin' bomb on Sen's Twitter. The Ottawa Senators have acquired Austin Watson from the Nashville Predators for a 2021 fourth-round pick. Watson recorded six goals, eight assists for 14 points, and 53 games for Nashville last season. So outside of the obvious being that we have another DJ guy here in Austin Watson... But I actually really want to talk about Austin Watson because this is a guy, Tim, over the past year or so, we've covered pretty extensively on the podcast. We talked about him with his uh, domestic abuse allegation, 
trips to rehab, stuff like that. And I understand Sens fans' resistance to wanting him on the team. When you look at everything he's going through off the ice. But for me, I am of the mindset this could be an absolute redemption for him. Because he's coming to a team where expectations are so low for him. Really, he has nowhere to go but up. Mm-hmm. Well, his last two seasons have been bad. We're talking about whenever he's on the ice, his poor goal is getting lit up bad. And he's not contributing to the offense. Because before before the whole blow-up, he was, he was not offensively gifted in the slightest. But he was a very much an Eric Condra kind of guy. Where, yeah, he'll keep the net clean. So, if you can get back to that, there might be something with this pickup, but uh, part of me thinks that the guy might just be cooked, hockey-wise. He could be, but you know what? I'm willing to give Austin Watson the benefit of the doubt. A, because you could probably say that a lot of his stuff off the ice really affects him on the ice, as we saw with Bobby Ryan, but also because... Austin Watson is playing for a guy in DJ Smith who had him in junior. He probably knows what buttons to push and how to motivate him. And maybe this could be a good pickup for the Senators where they put him in, say, a fourth-line role, energy guy, goes out there, throws his weight around, sparks the team. He doesn't necessarily have to score. He doesn't necessarily have to put up points every night, but just goes out there and plays hard and be an absolute pain in the ass to everybody. Fair. I just, for me, I hope the guy's gotten over his demons, and after that, let's hope that uh, maybe the on-ice production goes back to defensive forward with no offensive touch. Yeah, and like I said, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. I think he only has one more year in his contract, if, if I'm not mistaken. I might be wrong on that. So honestly, if, say, he doesn't work out, he doesn't work out. And it's not like uh, the Sens don't have players that could possibly step into the role, including uh, Davidson, uh, Parker Kelly, etc. Exactly. And now we come to the big acquisition of the 2020 offseason for the Ottawa Senators. The Ottawa Senators have acquired Matt Murray from the Pittsburgh Penguins for Jonathan Gruden and a 2020 second-round pick. Murray recorded a 20-11-5 record with a .899 save percentage for the Pittsburgh Penguins last season. I would also like to mention that Matt Murray quickly re-signed with the Senators for a four-year, $25 million contract with an AAV of 6.25. Last year was a rough one for Matt Murray, and it didn't help that the guy was playing in front of quite possibly the worst defense that Pittsburgh has ever assembled. I think the big thing needs to be said right here, Tim. Who the fuck picked Ottawa to land him? Like, of all any team out there, there were so many teams out there that looked like they needed a starting goaltender. There was teams like Carolina. There was possibly teams about Chicago. There was rumors about... Edmonton, Calgary, that were maybe were looking at a starting goaltender, and yet the Ottawa Senators are the one that landed him. 
the top goaltending trade bait guy out there. Especially in a market where guys like Darcy Kemper was still out there. And guys like that were still available, and we landed him. Yeah, it's a little odd. But at the same time, I could see teams not wanting to give Matt Murray the money he wanted. I, I could see that. I could see that. But for myself, Tim, I said this on Twitter, and I'll say it right now. This, for Pierre Dorian, is his Bobby Ryan trade. This was a trade, just like what Bobby Ryan was for Brian Murray, where you see a franchise icon leave the team, and the GM goes out and lands a big name to replace him. We saw that with Craig Anderson this offseason. He left for free agency. Pierre Dorian went out and got Matt Murray. Yeah, and we'll see how that all shakes out. For Matt Murray, it's... I think he still has it in him. He's still a young guy. Goalies do tend to mature later and play a bit longer. So I'm not terribly worried about Matt Murray. I think he'll return to form. I think so too. And my whole mindset with Matt Murray, Tim, is you look at his situation when he was with Pittsburgh the last couple of years where every single thing he did was under a microscope. Like, after the Cup win, I don't think Penguins fans fully embraced Matt Murray after that. Because what happened? Fleury left. He left for Vegas. Matt Murray was now the number one guy. He doesn't exactly put them over the top. He doesn't do that. Tristan Jari comes into the picture. So now he has to compete for Tristan Jari, who then outplays him. When he does make a mistake, the Penguin fans hate him. When he makes a something good, Penguin fans are just like, oh, yeah, okay, that's cool, whatever. Mm-hmm. He comes to Ottawa where the fans are legitimately excited to see him come to here. Fans want to see him succeed here. <clears throat> and, here's, and for me, I would have never believed this three years ago when we ran Marc-Andre Fleury out the door in Pittsburgh. And get game five, when we lit him up and Matt Murray came back, I would have never imagined three years later, Matt Murray's our, our starting goalie now. Yeah, it's kind of a crazy story. One thing this does suggest to me is that Hunters Nilsson's concussion symptoms must be bad. Because Ottawa is pretty well laid up throughout the goaltending, even in the absence of Matt Murray with Anders Nilsson being a pretty serviceable starter for a team on the rebuild. Marcus Hogberg seemed to be coming into form. Gustafsson and Decord looking pretty decent in the A. And then you have Matt Sorgard as well waiting in the wings. Mm-hmm. So what this suggests to me is Anders Nilsson, his health is scaring the Senators. Yeah. And it's a shame because Anders Nilsson's a really good guy. And I thought last year could have been a breakout season for him. I think so too. And... The whole thing for the Matt Murray coming to Ottawa is, I do agree with you, I think Anders Nilsson's health was a big concern. But also, you got to look at Marcus Hogberg. I just don't think that Pierre Dorian was fully convinced Hogberg was the guy. Because there was such a small sample of what he can do. Now, could he translate that over 55, 60 games a season? We don't know. This is very much Pierre Dorian saying, there's so much unknown here. I need to make it something happen here. I need to make a trade to bring a guy in who is proven, 
He has two Stanley Cups on his finger. He's played in high-pressure situations. But now Murray comes into a situation where he's the guy. He doesn't, to a certain extent, he doesn't have to worry about a Tristan Jari looking over his shoulder at him. Sure, you can look at, say, Marcus Hogberg. You can probably look at that. There's Joey Decord. There's Gustafsson. Maybe those guys, he might be seeing that. But for the time being, if Matt Murray is fantastic for the Senators in this rebuild, maybe those doubts are put to rest and maybe he doesn't have to look after his shoulder. Honestly, yeah, fair enough. It's a shame, though. I did like Anders Nilsson. It's true, and you know what? I openly, I wholeheartedly welcome Matt Murray to this team if he can help us win games and help us be better going down the road. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Tim. So with that out of the way, it's time to turn our attention to the 2020 Ottawa Senators draft class. So let's quickly talk a little bit about the draft class itself. Because overall, Tim, in terms of the Ottawa Senators draft history in the first round, if everything pans out the way it's going to pan out, hopefully, this might go down as one of the best first rounds in our history. I thought they did really well. The hard thing is, is that one of the picks is very controversial, but I think in the two picks, they got kind of expected value, and uh, I'd argue that uh, for the third pick, they got better than expected value. First pick, so we got three picks. Before we talk about the picks, let's talk about how the third pick came in, because that was really cool. Actually, you know what, Tim? I think we should wait a little bit on that because there's a few things that I do want to mention here. When talking about everything that's going to be panning out, I look at this first round, and this is how I see it going out. Stutzel becoming our number one center. Jake Sanderson developing into a second or yeah, second pairing left-shot defenseman. And possibly Ridley Gregg might become another Brady to chuck on this team. But also... One thing I got to give Pierre Dorian some credit here, Tim, is that one thing that he did address in this draft is the serious depth issues we had on the wings. Because he drafted five left wingers, and he took a right wing with pick number 36, and Stutzel's kind of a mix of both a left wing and a center. So overall, I'm I'm happy with the pickups we got depth-wise. It'll just... It'll be a matter to see how that talent ends up panning out, though. Yeah, for sure. Tim Stutzel's a can't-miss pick, I think. Just watching him play, the hockey IQ is off the charts. I know. I was watching some clips of him on YouTube the other night, and this kid, if he pans out and becomes a superstar at Ottawa, this kid's going to be exciting to watch. Oh, yeah. And I think he's probably joined the Senators right away. Because this is a guy who was uh, killing it in a men's league. Yeah, I think if I'm not mistaken, I don't. I he might have an opt out for this coming season because I think he is contracted to play in Germany for this coming year. So we'll have to kind of wait and see on that. And I honestly, I don't, I don't have much to say overall about the draft class. I think we should just start talking about some draft picks. So, I actually brought a clip in, Tim, because as you mentioned a few minutes ago, we got to talk a little bit about how the third pick came in. 
But actually, more importantly, Tim, I think we should play said clip because I don't think we could do this justice. Oh, this was so cool. So I think the best thing we should do, Tim, is turn it over to a alumnus for the University of Ottawa and host of the game show Jeopardy, Mr. Alec Trebek. Here is the host of Jeopardy, Alex Trebek. Thank you, Johnny. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Jeopardy. Our category today is the NHL, and here is the clue for you. With the third pick in the 2020 NHL draft, the Ottawa Senators choose this player. The correct response, who is Tim Stutzel? Oh, oh, in your face, bitch. Oh my god, that was amazing! Oh, I did. I left field too. Like uh, Chelsea and I were uh, prepping up dinner while that with with the draft on the background. I just hear Alex Trebek like, "What the fuck?" And all of a sudden, it's like the Jeopardy theme. Alex Trebek shows up, and they drop the pick. And it's just like, oh, the pick was not unexpected. The delivery was, but the delivery was greatly appreciated. It was amazing. It was so great. Because honestly, I was not expecting that. Because with the virtual draft, Tim, it was one thing that I was actually very fascinated to see how they were going to do this. And I, I knew that Alex Trebek is from Ontario. I originally thought he was actually from Ottawa. When I when Chelsea actually messaged me about this, all she messaged me is, wait, why is Alex Trebek doing the draft? And I was like, what? And then I looked it up on Twitter and I was in, I was at work when this happened and I just went, Oh my God, that's amazing. Oh, that is so cool. That yeah. we basically won the draft right there by doing that. We eat, but you know, the only thing that could have made it better if we had got the number one pick and then Alex Trebek came out and announced it was our pick. I, I don't know. I, I really like the way they pulled, played that. Yeah, it was it was so good. It was so amazing. And honestly, we should start talking about the first round because with the third pick, the Ottawa Senators took center Tim Stutzel from Mannheim Alter of the Deutschland. Your fuck. I don't even know how to properly pronounce it. I pronounce it as the DEL. So I'll talk a little bit about the scouting report. So from what I'm seeing here, Tim. Stutzel's a decently sized offensive forward with an excellent skill set, world-class skating ability, and game-breaking abilities. Ability-wise, and I looked up his stats, and this is a kid, he dominated junior hockey in Germany before he joined the men's league last season where he was 7th in team scoring, and he was 17 years old. The only yeah, not so. The only knack on his play is his defensive play. It is a bit of an issue, but that is something that you can kind of learn over time. Outside of that, his size is a bit of an issue, but honestly, the kid's like 17, 18 years old. Like he has the frame to add size. Oh, he'll fill out. Who cares? Like, he's got skill. He may not be Quinton Byfield huge, but he's a big kid in his own right. 
Yeah. Actually, given that you just mentioned Quentin Byfield, Tim, let's talk a little bit about Quentin Byfield and Tim Stutzel. Because with the third pick, I honestly had no preference who we took. Because I knew we were going to get either one of them. And I think a lot of people on Sense Twitter wanted Quentin Byfield. A, because he's a natural center. But also because physically he's just a monster right now. And he would be perfect as our number one center that we haven't had since Jason Spezza. But Tim Stutzel, I think, is going to be a very interesting prospect in regards to where he actually plays in the lineup. And I honestly, I think he was he's most likely going to be a center because of the fact that on the left wing, the one and two is going to be Brady Tuchak and Alex Formanton going forward. Yeah. And the other thing is, Tim Stutzel, from watch, watching him play and reading uh, write-ups about him, he's a very strong playmaker. And that does naturally lend itself to the center position. Yeah, it's tough because both Quinton Byfield and Tim Stutzel are phenomenal players. And they're, they're going to be stars in the NHL, I'm 100% sure. I don't think it's even a matter of if, it's going to be a matter of when for both of them. And talking about Tim Stutzel, this is a very interesting time that we're living in, Tim. Not just because of the COVID-19 pandemic, but... For hockey-wise, if you look at the NHL right now, we're now really starting a trend where when it comes to dominating hockey countries, you'll always have you know Canadians, the Russians, Americans, and the Swedes. I think that from here on then, we're going to see Germany taking that lead as a top hockey country. Because think of it. Leon Dreisaitl won the Hart Trophy. Tim Stutzel was taken third overall. You know, you look at some of the German guys that are coming over into the NHL now, and the big question for me is, like, what does this mean for Germany as a hockey nation going forward when you see this kind of growth? Honestly, I welcome another strong hockey country. Hopefully it's the Swiss next. Yeah, because we saw it with uh, Nito Niederreiter, right? And it's going to be amazing because, like, the Swiss obviously have such a dominating team with HV Davos. And it'll just be amazing to see where the next wave of superstars comes from. Germany is going to be a big one because of how far they've developed. Switzerland could be a very interesting country going forward, especially with Niederreiter and Germany now has Dreisaitl and Stutzel. So I'm going to be very, very interested and very fascinating to watch this going forward. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe the maybe France will finally give us someone more than Cristobal Huey and uh, we got Alex Texier. Uh, Alex oh, Alex Texier. Uh, why am I blanking on Stefan Delacoste? Oh, um, Anthony Roussel. Anthony Roussel. Yeah. So maybe we'll get some French players. So I like I said, like I did watch Tim Stutzel's highlights on YouTube, and I I do agree. Like he does definitely have a pass first mentality. But from watching the highlights, one thing I really noticed, this kid has an absolute cannon of a shot. And it would be very interesting to see if he's paired with a guy like a Drake Batherson, who is very much a playmaker. And if he's, say, paired with a, a Drake Batherson, or maybe possibly if Anthony Duclair maybe comes back in a lower cap hit, does Tim Stutzel now develop into a shooter as well? I would love to see it. I would too. I would too. 
So there is a couple more things I do want to talk about with Tim Stoops before we move on to the fifth pick. One of them, and this is something that a lot of people on Sense Twitter actually made quite a bit of noise about, and I couldn't figure out why until I looked it up. There's been some controversy about Tim Stutzel potentially taking the number 88 with the Ottawa Senators. I don't know how well you know about the history of World War II. In Germany, 88 is actually a hate symbol. 88 in Germany is code for Heil Hitler. And I couldn't figure that out. So people on Twitter were talking about, like, come on, Tim Stutzel's really not going to take 88, and this is ridiculous, and how does he not know? And so I looked it up. I just went Germany 88, and I read about it, and I was like, oh, awkward. It's hard, though, because a lot of these things, like, that do come out as suggest hate symbols, I do really wonder how widespread they are to people who don't spend their lives on the internet. It is true. It is true. But, you know, you got to realize that Tim Stutzel was born and raised in Germany. And, I, like, I've never lived in Germany. I never went to school in Germany. So I don't know how much of the Second World War in Nazi Germany was actually taught in school back there. So... My understanding is that it is a heavily don't do this again sort of thing. Yeah. But uh, when it comes to things that are considered to be, like, we hate symbols, it's... Like, remember how the OK sign became regarded as a hate symbol? I, I do wonder just how much of that sort of stuff is... Is it actually a hate symbol? Or is it something that, like, a few crazy people online use that somehow seeped out to someone who wanted to kind of raise awareness about white supremacy in a country and then something that wasn't really a big issue has become a big issue so it could reasonably be that tim stutzel doesn't know yeah that seemed to be the overwhelming consensus about tim stutzel wearing 88 but i'm amazed that somebody didn't mention that to him be like you know you're german wearing the 88 might be might be not maybe not the best idea but honestly, and his natural number is number eight. And Ottawa has already retired it for Frank Finnegan. If he goes with 88, okay. Like, it wouldn't bother me. But quite honest, I could understand where and why people would maybe see issue with it. Yeah. Part of me is just wondering, is like, is it a common thing? Because it very well could be that he wouldn't know. And, like, I probably wouldn't know about it either if you didn't see it mentioned on Twitter. Yeah, because I mean, we went to school in Canada, and we were we even really weren't taught the ins and out of Nazi Germany in the Second World War. So to us, even it's just like, oh, all right, well, like I wouldn't have known to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah, well, the other thing is, is it, like, if it's something that's more suppressed than taught about, then yeah, he very, very much might have not known. One last thing I do want to mention with Tim Stutzel, Tim, and this is such a, to me, this is such a weird thing to bring up, but did you not see Tim Stutzel's jawline? Like, Jesus Christ, that thing looks like it could break granite. That's a desired feature? It's weird, man. I don't know. It, it Honestly, the first picture I saw of Tim Stutzel, I'm like, good God, that fucking chin can break concrete. 
<laughs> yeah. I do love the fact that when they interview Tim Stutzel after the draft, I do got to love the fact that his bow tie game was on par with John Liu from TSN. But also, when you hear him talk, he seems very happy about coming to Ottawa. And I love in that interview, he's talking about, yeah, I'm going to come to Ottawa and we're going to win this down like cop. I'm just like, I have not seen this kid play a game and I love him already. Just for that one quote. No, it's a good, that's a great quote. Um, I mean, it's better than actually, Tucker Carson calling Ottawa, Ottawa. Amazing. Let's move on to the fifth pick, Tim, because with the fifth pick, the Ottawa Senators select defenseman Jake Sanderson from the University of North Dakota in the NCAA. So the scouting report on him, he is a strong skating two-way defenseman who has strong puck handling abilities, good on-ice vision and puck and passing skills, who is not overshadowed by his overall strong defensive instincts. His game has been compared to Ryan Suter. Fun fact about him, he is the son of former NHLer Jeff Sanderson. This is a pick very controversial. The Senators yeah. did not need Jake Sanderson. There was no real need for him. Because you look at that left-hand D, the Senators have already set on Shabbat, Eric Brandstrom, unless they move him to right-handed D, Christian Melanded, Max Lajoie, and Johnny Trionic. I understand why they took him, as his game is more well-rounded than, say, Jamie Drysdale, who I actually would have preferred Ottawa taken, given he serves a much-needed and much better purpose in Ottawa as a right-handed defenseman. And like Tim Stutzel going third, Jake Sanderson going fifth is also a big deal since he potentially will be the first Montana-born NHLer to suit up. Huh. And it's interesting because there's a lot of, there was a lot of fallers. Like I was surprised Cole Perfetti went 10th, Marco Rossi went 9th. So if Ottawa wanted to kind of fill out the wings or to get another crack at a center, those guys would have been an interesting take. Or yeah, I think I probably, I've seen a lot of kind of back and forth about which of Sanderson or Drysdale were the best defensemen in the draft. And that's, a, that, that's definitely a tough question. Uh, I've seen some people say Sanderson was the best defenseman. Uh, uh, some of the more analytically minded folks were were suggesting Drysdale. So I'm always a fan of draft the best player available. And if Jake Sanderson was the best defenseman available, yeah, maybe you go for that. But although I would have potentially Marco Rossi or Cole Perfetti might have been better players on the board than uh, Sanderson. But no, I think this this pick will probably work out pretty well. I think I think it will work out, but. For me personally, and I think a lot of people would probably agree with this, Tim, I think the only reason that we realistically took Jake Sanderson at five is because the Red Wings took Lucas Raymond. Because if Lucas Raymond was on the board at number five, the Senators would have taken him. That's fair. Just because, you know, he does serve a very good purpose on right wing. He comes from Frulanda in Sweden, which is a team where the Ottawa Senators have been very noted to draft talented guys from there like Eric Carlson and like Daniel Offertson. And I thought new Lucas Raymond would be that next guy 
from Fulani to come to Ottawa. Jake Sanderson, though, I did watch a little bit of his clips on YouTube, and I do agree with the assessment. He does play a lot like Ryan Suter, and while he doesn't serve a real need for the Senators, I think he would be an ideal fit on that second-pairing defense, given that Thomas Shabbat is the top guy on the back end. That's very fair. I do like Jamie Drysdale, though. I do like Jimmy Drysdale too, and I think he was a guy that, like I said, I had a preference to pick him. But I think ultimately a few things to play in that. Lucas Raymond going for. A lot of people are talking about, given that Sanderson is at North Dakota, which even last year in the draft, Pierre Dorian went back to that well, and maybe he's found something in the University of North Dakota with all the players that he's drafting over the last couple of years. Honestly, that's fair. But yeah, imagine if the Senators got both Stutzel and Raymond. That would have been a steal. Yeah, it would have been lights out for the rest of that Atlantic division. Yeah, so do you want to go to the last first rounder? Absolutely. With the 28th pick, the Ottawa Senators select left winger Ridley Gregg from the Brandon Wheat Kings of the WHL. The scouting report on him, a high-energy spark plug on the ice, an agitator who can get under people's skin, but also has defensive intelligence to go along with a solid offensive game as well. And this is also noted because, like Jake Sanderson being the son of former NHLer Jeff Sanderson, really Greg's dad, Mark Greg, who's a currently a Flyer scout, also a former NHLer. There's a lot of father-son talent in the NHL. Uh, one thing I do like about Rid- Ridley Gregg is his compar- one of his comparisons is Brad Marchand in that kind of dickish play style. Yeah, and this was a guy that I had no idea who this kid was when you told me about him. And then, because basically all you had said was that he potentially could be a middle six Brad Marchand for us. Pretty much. Uh it's interesting because he did fall a bit from where people projected he would be taken. There was a, there was a lot of fallers in uh, day one of the draft, especially uh, with Columbus going completely off the board. I think that was probably one of the most egregious reaches, according to uh, Colin Cutmore, where uh, in the first round, the first round they picked uh, Shinikov, who uh, was, I don't think he was rated within the top 250 by most scouts. So I think we should talk a little bit about Greg because one thing I will say about this pick, Tim, is that I am very happy to see that Pierre Dorian didn't go off the board to get this pick because the mock drafts I saw had Ridley Greg actually ranked a little bit higher. He was ranked kind of in the early 20s. So it is kind of nice to see that. And like I said, he would be a solid middle six guy for the centers to take some pressure off Thomas Shabbat, or sorry, not Thomas Shabbat, Brady Tuchuk, who's already paying the ass. He's not an overly big guy like Brad Marchant. He does throw his weight around. So basically, to me, what I'm getting at with this is that he's a perfect DJ Smith kind of guy. Totally, yeah. Yeah, because and that's the one thing that DJ Smith has actually done very well with the Senators since he's arrived is that he will take a chance on guys who maybe aren't the best guys offensively but he makes them earn their ice time. And I think if Ridley Gregg makes the NHL in that middle six role, then he would be great. 
The only thing with Greg, though, is honestly, and I'm looking at this maybe in a few years ahead, is that I often wonder if, say, the analytics community and maybe some like people who are so high on offensive players on the Senators, I often wonder if he's going to get the short end of the stick when it comes to Sens fans and Sens Twitter. You know, he might. I think we also embrace our pain in the asses. That is true, because Ottawa really hasn't had a ton of those guys at all. Yeah, so if the Greek can play a competent third-line center role while being a pain in the ass, I think he'll be appreciated just fine. Let's turn our attention to the second round. With the 33rd pick, the Ottawa Senators select left-winger Robbie Gervente from the finished Elite League, Liga, with the team, I lives. I actually, I actually want to ask you about that, Tim. Like, how would you pronounce this team's name? I L V E S. Elvis. Elvis. That's that's not a language group I speak, so I couldn't help you. No. So the scouting report on this gentleman: he's a big body winger known for his goal scoring ability. Is a player who anticipates the anticipated the play well in the offensive zone and can make moves at full speed. So this is a guy who, with the departure of Anthony Duclair, Gervente, I think, could be a really good replacement on the left wing for him. Yeah, the one thing I've heard, the one knock I see on him is his speed. Which, in the modern NHL, might be tough, because it, but at the same time, if he can get the hockey IQ and the stick handling up, he maybe speed's not that much of an issue as Mark Stone showed us. Yeah, and I think with you're absolutely right, Tim. I think with speed like that, as you said, with Mark Stone, Stone can honestly prove that if you're a very smart hockey player and you know where you have to go and what you have to do when you get there, speed's not an issue. Yeah, the scouting report on him it says he gets a, he has a good shot, but gets a lot of goals by going to places where he needs to be, especially in and around the net. So he should be able to produce if he continues to do that well at the NHL at the NHL level. So sorry, Tim. Just a quick side note here. I did have a look to how to pronounce. It is Ilvis. Ilvis. Okay. So honestly. I think we should talk a little bit about this guy because when I was watching his clips on YouTube, there was one guy in particular I really thought of, and that is Artemi Panarin. Because I really watched him, and the one thing I really noticed, his one-timer is unbelievable. And I really like how when you see him in front of the net, he keeps the puck close to him. I like his body positioning. And the fact that he is a bigger guy... So when he fully grows, he's going to be a hard guy to knock over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if he does have like that ability to just go in, crash around, and have a nice shot, but also be able to go right up tight to the net and tip things around well, I think that fits in with the way Ottawa seems to be building. Uh, the only thing I could really talk about him, Tim, is that he is... Uh, contracted to play in Finland for next season. There's a possibility he might come over for 21-22. So, honestly, I think if uh, Javente can go play another year in Finland, grow a bit more, get some confidence, 
come over in 21-22, maybe he can crack the Senators roster. Mm-hmm. Although, I do want to make one mention to you, Tim, and I know you're going to get a chuckle out of this. Say, say hypothetically, right? If, say, this gentleman was given a big-time contract in years down the road, and he gets injured and he gets put on LTIR... Will will we will we actually get to rename Robodot Island to Roby Jaw Island? You know what? Or Robbie Jaw Island? It might be in the works. Yeah, I put, I threw it up on Twitter. Nobody seemed to like it as much as I did. So, uh, fair enough. That's why I got you, Tim. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. With the forty fourth pick, the Ottawa Senators select defenseman Tyler. Kelvin from the University of North Dakota in the NCAA. The scouting report on him, he's a shutdown defenseman known for stopping one-on-one rushes and guiding the puck carrier up the boards. Has the ability to find teammates up the middle. The one thing that, from what I understand, is that he will have to work on his readiness and his shooting. But other than that, I can't really find too many negatives against him. He seems to be just the kind of the guy that he is. He's a shutdown defenseman, can hit. I've heard him described as Ben Harper, who's willing to throw the body. Yeah. And, you know, here's the thing for me, Tim, is that despite Ottawa's young depth on the left on the left side, I do see why. I do see why they took him. Six foot four, 200 pounds, 18-year-old. And if he develops well, there's a possibility he could be another Chris Phillips, maybe. That solid shutdown defenseman who can man a defensive team for years and again I can understand why they took him because this is another UND draft pick and I mentioned that when we talked about Jake Sanderson is that maybe Trent Mann and the Senators have found a gold mine in that school with the players that they've taken perhaps perhaps but uh, I think I'll keep my expectations low for Cleveland because uh, Ben Harper that can check doesn't inspire confidence no, it doesn't. It doesn't. But again, I, I, I'm, I'm like I'm totally agree with you, Tim. I think that the expectation shouldn't be very high on him. But you never know, right? Like he either could be one of two things. He could be uh, another Ben Harper, or we can have our homegrown Mark Mathot, a shutdown defenseman who can just hit everybody that comes near him. That's fair. With the 61st pick, the Ottawa Senators select left winger Igor Sokolov from the Cape Breton Eagles of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. The scouting report, this kid is a friggin' monster. Six foot four, 235 pounds, a natural goal scorer who has good body positioning and has a knack to recover loose pucks. Okay, this is probably the only thing that I really got to say. The Ottawa Senators really reached for this kid. Because some of the mock drafts I saw with Sokoloff, some mock drafts didn't even have him ranked. Because he is seen as a one-trick pony. He's a big body who, honestly, the real knacks is his skating and his overall 200-foot game. So honestly, I mean, the Senators could find some use for him if he makes the NHL. He he has proven that he can score. Because last season he put up 46 goals and 46 assists for Cape Breton. And maybe if, say, the Senators take some time with him and he's willing to learn 
the North American style of play, they could possibly mold him into a newer version of, say, a young Milan Lucic when he was with the Bruins. Yeah, and that's the hope. Uh, I've heard that Solokov is like a solid guy, and the hard thing is, is he is an overager in the queue. Yeah, and that's always a, that's always a big thing when it comes to junior players is that you always got to worry when it comes to the overagers where you either got to worry, okay, have these kids fully developed in what they're going to be, or are they just late bloomers? Yeah, I'm hoping that Solokov's just a late bloomer. Yeah. Honestly, if he makes the NHL, I could see him moving to the right wing. That could be in the cards given how weak we are on that side. But, as you were saying, because he's an overager, I'm not exactly sure where his ceiling will be at the pro level. That's true. Uh, I hope the best for the guy. I think so. I think it would be great. And honestly, I just want to see how hard he can shoot. Because, man, like, 6'4", 235? massive this kid's gonna kill somebody moving on to the third round with the 71st pick the ottawa senators select goaltender levy merlion from carpat of finland jr goalies are voodoo man i could not find a scouting report on him and honestly yeah. this is a head scratcher because where does he where would he fit in we already have so many goalies in the system. There, there was so many goalies in the system. There's so little information on them. And people on Twitter, I think even Graham Nichols might have even made a mention of this, that really, if the Senators really wanted to draft him, he could have been a late six-rounder. Yeah, so I'm not sure why they did this the way they did this. I, I don't know. Like, I really don't know what to say here, Tim maybe he might develop into something, perhaps? I, get, I think this is probably our most egregious reach. Yeah, I think so. And honestly, because the next, well, two, two of the next three guys, there's so little information about him I could find that I really have nothing much to say. And honestly, I think this is a kid that he's just going to be a draft pick that just doesn't come over. When you look at all the guys we already have in the system, goaltending-wise, I could honestly see that being very realistic. Mm -hmm. Moving on to the fifth round with the 155th pick, the Ottawa Senators select left-winger Eric Engstrand from Malmo Redhawks of the Swedish Hockey League. This guy report on him. He's a big body with a powerful stride and good wheels. Not an overly physical player, but... Seems to have the tools overall. One big knack on him, including his his lack of physicality. He's also not great defensively. And this is a trend that the Senators really are continuing here with this pick, Tim, where they're taking big-bodied players at a position they are not deep in. Yeah, this definitely seems like a project. And given that you're at pick 155, that gets you into the fifth round, that's what you're getting. If he works out, great. If he doesn't, oh well. And the Senators do tend to have above average luck with these sorts of projects, so we'll see what we get. Yeah, I think so. And I'm sorry, I was just thinking about this when we're talking about uh, Sokolov. The one thing I did want to mention about that kid is that with the 
with the knacks that he has on him, the one guy that it reminds me a lot of is Mike Hoffman. Because Mike Hoffman had a lot of the similar knacks on him when he was drafted by the Senators. Mm-hmm. But Hoffman was a bit of a later pick, correct? No, he was a... Where did he go? Fourth round, I think? Yeah, so that's getting late. That's That's not bad. Moving into the sixth round with the 157th pick, the Ottawa Senators select left winger Philip Dussonet from the Moncton Wildcats of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. It is what it is. Yeah. Is this another one where there's really no information on the guy? There's, yeah. And honestly, like, I'm looking at my screen right now and I have in big bold letters scouting and there's a question mark. <laughs> and same with the next player, Tim. With the 180th pick, the Ottawa Senators select left winger Cole Reinhardt from the Brandon Wheat Kings of the Western Hockey League. Scouting report? Question mark. Amazing. But then again, these are late guys, right? Yeah, so... But you know what? I was thinking about this when I was putting all this together. Like, this is very much how it was last season when we did our draft. Was that the later round guys, there was just so little information about them that were just like, well, they're a thing I that happened, I guess. Yeah, pretty much. If they work out, that's fantastic for them. But at this point, you're playing with your scratch and wins. Yeah, and honestly... They're late round picks, to be perfectly honest with you. So really, if they work out, great. If not, they're just going to be a small footnote in our team's history, draft-wise. Pretty much. Yeah. Well, Tim, I guess that wraps up our coverage of the 2020 Ottawa Senators draft class. And, you know, it's kind of hard to believe, man, that like we've been doing these episodes for so long and... I guess the 2019-20 season has officially come to an end for us. Yeah. And off season in October is just weird. I know. But you know what, man? We're living in weird times. Yeah, so here's hoping we actually get something. We get a good 40-50 game season. Yeah, yeah, I would be happy with that, to be perfectly honest with you. And, I mean, I don't know if they want to go with that. We'll have to wait and see if they do a condensed season or a full season or what. So, honestly, we're going to have to wait and see on that. And I think with all that being said, Tim, I think, honestly, I don't really have any more to say, to be perfectly honest with you, man, if you want to just head off into the close for another evening. Yeah, that's right off in the sunset, and we'll be back for is this season four or season five? Season four. Season four is coming up, man. Holy crap. I know. It's hard to believe. So with that being said, guys, as we are saying, our fourth season is coming up. Now, we are going to take a bit of a quick, a little bit of a break over the next couple of months. You're not going to see as much content being produced. But just because you're not going to see that content coming out doesn't mean that there's not stuff going on behind the scenes. We are definitely working on some future episodes. They will be coming up. But you're going to have to wait for that to be both announced and to be released. Yeah, and maybe there'll be pictures of my new home. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I 
Love recording them for you. We're on the National Podcast Network. You can find our page on nationalpodcast.network. You can find our links to iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. We're also on Twitter at Third Lane Plug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at M901 Honey Badger. I'm at Great White Gipster, GR8, WYTE Gipster. If you want to choose an email to talk about our coverage of the 2020 Ottawa Senators draft class, shoot us an email, thirdlineplugsensecast at gmail.com. And also, don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, if you are listening to us on iTunes, don't forget to give us a five-star rating. Yeah, so... That's it, I guess. Yeah. This is it. What a weird damn season. I know, this freaking season only lasted like three years. <laughs> no kidding. Until next time, guys. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. This has been Tim Jensen. Go Sens, guys.